Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you on this bi-week Tuesday evening? Cade, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. It's weird podcasting with no football game to review. We haven't had that in what, like five or six weeks? Yeah, I should say it's post-bye week because this is game week, but it's post-bye week and it is it is very rare. It's been a long time since we've had a non-recap only preview episode. So it's like we don't even know what to do with our hands. <laughs> Luckily, we got some great lis- listener questions, which we'll hit at the end. We've got some notes from practice and things like that. So it's not it's not all bad. Not all bad news. We'll hopefully, we'll keep it light. We'll keep it fun like we normally try to do. And we'll preview the K-State game. You're correct that it's not all bad news. Before we get into any potential bad news, let's share some good news from our friends at Charlie Hustle, which is this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best-dressed fan this season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. With over 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. Shop today at www.charliehustle.com. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. And when you shop with them, use our promo code 101215 for 15% off all non-sale items. Dustin, I might wear my Charlie Hustle shirt on Friday. I'm, I actually can't. It's blackout. Cut that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We both got new shirts from them, so shout out to Charlie Hustle for sending us those, but they're both orange. It'll have to so be the following weekend week. when the Jayhawks come to town. It'll have to be then. They're cool shirts, though. They're very soft. They fit well. I actually have yours right now. I still need to give it to you. I can give that to you later this week when I'll see you, but they're really cool shirts. Both of ours are orange with Pistol Pete on there. Uh, I think one's Rodham Cowboys. The other one, I think, says Pistols Firing. So Ooh, both dibs those on, are on their Cowboys. website. They're very cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, Charlie Hustle does great stuff. I needed a black shirt from them. So if they hear this and they over and they choose to overnight something to you and I, that would be okay for the blackout game against <laughs> Kansas State. But I mean, Dustin, it's it's a fun one to get into. I mean, obviously, every year I think Oklahoma State and K State can be considered quasi rivals. There's been a long tradition of uh great games between these two. Coming off, though, I mean, obviously not getting into the preview yet, but coming off the most lopsided loss in that series history. I know we've got practice notes to get to and all of that stuff, but it's uh, it's a fun week against Kansas State, and you really never know what to expect. Yeah, you really don't. And kind of leading into this game week, last week in the bye week, you probably saw the Oklahoma State Twitter accounts tweet out about the coaches on the recruiting trail, which... I know a lot of people had some sarcastic remarks yeah. to those tweets, which some were actually pretty funny, but in, in seriousness, <laughs> there was a lot of recruiting going on. And I'll say when you're two and two and you haven't looked good being two and two and you tweet that out, 
you do open some things up. So it's just social media management 101. They know that. They know what they're stepping they into. Check with us first. They really they should. I'd be happy to do that for them. I would let them know what they can expect. <laughs> that, would be, that would actually be a cool job. The the tweet to like auditor before yeah, it goes out. Yeah, feels like 45 marketing as a service. That's what will spin <laughs> off uh, in, in this portfolio of companies. Well, if they could have just had us go through the recruiting recap instead of tweeting anything out, because that's what we're going to do right now. Kate, obviously, you know, we talked a lot before the season about dead periods, evaluation periods, quiet periods. So I did want to reiterate that it is an evaluation period, even though I think that's pretty obvious during the football season. So September 1st through November 26th is an evaluation period. You get 33 in-person evaluation days for the coaches to kind of go and evaluate these guys at their campuses, at games, meet with them. That's 33 for the whole staff. So you kind of have to break them up on Oklahoma state and I think it was Coach Gundy and Coach Wozniak used a couple earlier this year to go see guys like Rodney Fields, the running back from Dell City. But now, because it was a bye week, a lot of the coaches were on the road. I know Tim Duffy, just kind of going through them real quick, Tim Duffy was at Waco Conley to see Kobe Black, the younger brother of Corey Black, also Keeper Sebley, place for Conley. So Conley's a... Corey Black, we've talked about Trent Poland, kind of got a little pipeline starting up from there. Kobe Black would be a huge get if they were to land him. Tim Rattay, he traveled the furthest of any of the assistant coaches because most of them were in Oklahoma or Texas. He headed to Northern California to watch Junipero Serra quarterback, Maya Leowaki Smith. Smith finished 19 of 26 for 321 yards, two passing touchdowns, and two rushing touchdowns on the day. Kate, do you like those numbers? I I like them personally. I actually <laughs> love them, and I I would love to have them uh, on campus. <laughs> and speaking of that, Robert Allen reported on Pokes Report that Gina Paracero's head coach Patrick Walsh actually took a quick trip to Oklahoma to meet the OSU staff and check out where Smith will apparently. These are RA's words. Will apparently continue his football career. So I, I know we haven't been talking a lot of recruiting during the season, but we talked a lot about Smith and we kind of left it as a cliffhanger coming into the I, season because we didn't know where he was going. It seems, I know BYU is still technically in the mix. Other schools could jump in when they see numbers like that, 321 yards, four total touchdowns on a really high completion percentage. But I think Oklahoma State's, very securely in the driver's seat. And I would be shocked if they don't end up landing Smith, which I, I think, you know, there's rumors that he already has verbally committed. I mean, I, I gotta be honest with you. I haven't paid much attention to recruiting in the last couple of months because it's football season and there's real football happening. I would have just assumed that he would have been committed elsewhere by now, but he has not. And I agree with you knowing, especially that his coach was in town OSU has been in a great spot really for what feels like the better half of nine months to a year now with, with uh, Maya Luiaki Smith. So I, I think that they're going to be the school he ends up with. And I think it's a good thing because they are going to need some competition in that quarterback room. Looking two years down the line, you got to expect that with this current state of affairs, not Oklahoma state's affairs, like just the transfer portal in general, the way your quarterback room looks 
December one of this year is not the way it's going to look December one of the following year. So you got to get him on campus, I think. Yeah, you kind of see the issues. It's a great point by you. You see the issue, what happens when you kind of skip a year. You know, Shane Illingworth, uh, the Gunner Gundy, and then Rangel kind of had a little Absolutely. gap year in there. You're going to have, we, we've talked about this a bunch in the offseason. And I think the coaches have even alluded to it now. And Coach Gundy and Coach Rate, Coach Dunn, you got you pretty much have to take a quarterback in every cycle with the transfer portal now. So if they don't land Smith, I know you and I think they probably will get somebody out of the portal. And then continue on with 2025. You know, they're one of their top guys is Shaker Isaac, who's an in-state quarterback guy. So I, I think I think they kind of learned their lesson there. I think it would be great to land Smith, have him compete with floors, kind of see what happens there. I like both of those guys a lot. So I definitely think they need to land somebody, and I think they will land Smith. Yeah, I, I think so too. Love your point as well. It's exactly what I was getting at. The attrition that the portal will cause you, and you've already seen it with Oklahoma State's, you know, inability to secure a quarterback every year. You just you have to do it. So I I, yeah. I look forward to when he's a cowboy. Speaking of other offensive skill positions, Coach Wozniak was in Texas looking at a lot of the Oklahoma State top running back prospects in the 2025 class. Two or three guys we talked about on this podcast that he was checking out. The majority of the staff would aside from you know California with Rite, some of the guys in Oklahoma were in Texas. Casey Dunn, Brian Nardo, Joe Bob, Dan Hammerschmidt, Greg Richmond, the defensive line coach, was in Houston. He visited Deer Park High School. They had a bye week, but he checked in on defensive end Luke Webb. Then he went up to DFW to check on Armstrong Notum of Mesquite Horn. And Charlie Dickey was in Salt Lake City at West High School, home of Jalen Warren to see Nuku Mafi and Simisi Tonga, some offensive line commits that actually, I think they, a couple of those guys played both ways. They just recently canceled their Nebraska visit. And the only visit they have scheduled that I know of is Oklahoma State, the weekend of October 13th to 15th. So good signs for Oklahoma State there. It seems, you know, Benny Tonga, Charlie Dickey, Coach Gundy have kind of formed this relationship with West High School. We've heard a lot about a lot of guys coming. I, I know the coach from West high school came and brought some of the players in the off season. So good pipeline to have. They seem to produce some pretty talented prospects. Some of those Polynesian guys that Benny Tonga likes to land who've done really well at Oklahoma state. So it's good to see that. Yeah. I mean, no, no question uh, to have these recruiting pipelines, especially on the West coast, you know, quote unquote, especially when they're joining the big 12, that's going to be a hot recruiting ground. I, I mean, Utah's already probably in on a bunch of these guys, not looking at the offer lists, but this is a about to become a conference recruiting battle. So to already have that inroad out there is, is a big deal. I would say. Yeah. And Kate, that's, that's all I really had on recruiting. Just kind of wanted to go over it because I know for different reasons, that was a hot topic on Twitter, but I thought it would be good to kind of go through because we talk so much recruiting in the offseason and we haven't really this far in the season. I don't even know if I would say it's for different reasons. I think it was a hot topic for the reasons that you would expect. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. Well, on to some notes from practice before we get into some of the media availability stuff with Coach Gundy and some of the players. So it's a sellout, Cade. We'll see how full the stadium is. Yep. I think it'll be decently full on a Friday night blackout game. They've got, you know, the concert and the block party stuff going on before. I know the season hasn't gone well. Maybe I'm just a little too optimistic, 
but I, I think it'll be a fairly full stadium. It's unfortunate that it's a Friday night because I think if this was a Saturday night, even with the two and two record in the start to the season, I, I just think Stillwater is a football town. I, I, I think that you would see a packed out crowd. What I think is going to be a little bit unfortunate is there's probably going to be a lot of purple in that stadium. There always is, but on a year where they're favored by double digits in Stillwater, if I was a K-State fan, that would be a trip I was thinking about making because of that situation. So I think the environment will be good. I think it's one to keep an eye on, though, especially, you know, does if the game's not that tight in the first, second quarter, I, I'm listening for the Boo Birds. That's what I'm most concerned about. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. But it's a shame that it's not on a Saturday because I think the block party, the blackout would have made for a, I mean, classic, you know, Boone Pickens Stadium environment. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And if I'm K-State, I'm going to this game because they haven't really done very well in Stillwater recently. Right. And after the 48-0 to win at home last year and kind of seeing how this year's played out, if I'm a K-State fan, I'd want to come to this game for sure. Yeah, so 100%. It, it's, a, it's a great call out by you. I know I'll, I'll be there. I believe you'll be there. I will. I'll have some friends coming in town for it. So I, th- I think – us personally will have a lot of fun no matter the game outcome, but it'll be interesting to see, like you said, kind of what the turnout will be. So last week they practiced Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then got Friday and Saturday off before returning on Sunday. That's more work. That's one full extra practice than they normally do on the bye week Cade. That it's good to see. I, I know, you know, seen some reports out of Pokes report that some guys got banged up. I think they're all going to be pretty much fully healthy for the game. The guys get banged up in practice, but it sounds like coach Gundy really wanted to ramp up the physicality, ramp up the practice after this two and two start. So I I guess that's one positive sign. Oh, a hundred percent. I, I, I think that was probably the most important week of practice they're going to have all season. I mean, you're coming into what, probably your second toughest game all season. I mean, even before the two and two start, you and I looked at this game as the turning point of the season. I unfortunately I believe that might have already happened, but this game is one that you want every moment you possibly can to prepare for. Unfortunately, K State's also coming off of a bye week, but they don't traditionally fare that well, especially under Chris Kleiman. So I think that Oklahoma State using this, especially if they're going to ramp up the physicality, which you know K State is going to bring that to Stillwater, it's a big deal. Yeah, and that physicality, you know, I mentioned the extra practice. Three of those practices were in full pads. So it they were really focused on the physicality. I'm sure the training staff had their work cut, cut out from yeah. last week with all those physical practices. Another note, some of the younger offensive linemen apparently were getting more snaps with the first and second team groups. And Jake Springfield was also a full practice participant. When you're talking about... Younger offensive linemen, this was something in the Pokes Report article. They didn't name any names. If I had to guess, Cade, and let me know if you think any differently, but some of the names that I think we're probably rotating in would be a Jack and Dean at tackle, possibly even some at guard, a Davis Dotson, an Austin Kowecki, Calvin Harvey, and Noah McKinney. Those would be kind of the names that would pop to me. I know people say you're leaving off a Jacoby Sanders. We talked about Jacoby already one of the strongest guys on the team out of Stillwater High School, the center. I think he was pretty far away from kind of a speed, quickness, technique standpoint to go along with that strength. Yep. 
So I, I wouldn't include him in the mix. I still think he's going to be a good player for Oklahoma State down the road. But those those names that I mentioned, your Harvey, McKinney, Kowecki, Dotson, and Dean, those would be the guys I think would be rotating. I in. think they've been the ones all year that we've talked about in that kind of next tier, if if you will. So I, I would definitely think that that's who we would be talking about. Absolutely. Who do you think out of that group would be your one? I mean, Kowecki probably your 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 first guy in. See, I think I I really like Kowecki. He's a little undersized. I like him a lot, but the thing is, I do you do you trade out Maholski at this point with how he he's played? I think he's played okay. He's played fine. If you yeah. want to just give Kowecki a shot and see what he looks like, you know, he got that one snap earlier in the season and he actually didn't look great in that one snap. But again, you can't grade one snap. If you could put Kowecki in at guard, though, I, I would I would like that. I, I definitely I, think I definitely think I, I personally wouldn't take out Mahalski at this point. Yeah, it would be in an emergency scenario. Like he would be your your first guy off the bench if and and I do think Mahalski going down would be not an emergency, but it would be close. I mean, that would be a bad situation, especially in a game like this where K State's bringing a a pretty good defensive line. To Stillwater, that they they need to they need to be healthy and stay healthy. Um, I was just curious what you thought about you know what that lineup looks like. I well, think it's probably Kowecki as well. I think I think also another spot I would look is right tackle. You know we've seen Springfield be banged up. It sounds like he's going to be a full go. We've seen Birmingham get some run at right tackle recently. If if Springfield's still banged up, if you know we know Cole is still working on getting back fully in shape, having Keep he continues to kind of re-aggravate that injury and with the knee. I would probably go with a Harvey or a McKinney. Yeah. I don't know if an Indeen yet. I know we heard some good things about him in the offseason, but just because he's you know brand new, true freshman, I'd probably go with Harvey, who's been on the team, or McKinney, who was who's been in college football as a transfer, transferring over. I think those guys, and even a Davis Dotson at yeah. guard, if if you see Brooks or Wilson start to struggle and you don't feel comfortable putting Birmingham in there, maybe you try a Dotson instead of a Materko. I I wouldn't hate that. I might hate it this week, but I wouldn't hate it as a long-term <laughs> thought. They also apparently were working on ways to get Brennan Presley the football, something you and I have talked about on pretty Snap much every it to him episode. Directly. Yeah, I mean, after the first game. It's. I just think personally, Cade, we've talked about it on these podcasts that he he's being used too much as that decoy guy. And I love it. I love the motion. I'm not saying don't use him in motion. I feel like I, I'm sound kind of hypocritical at first when I say that. I'm just saying sometimes you actually have to use him off that motion, have to target him as kind of that first read. And Brendan Presley's got to do a little bit better job, I think, in zone coverage of getting open. We talked about sometimes he gets a little bit lost because he is a smaller guy. He even admitted that last season on OSU Max going through the film review. I think it was with Rashetti Jones talking about how he can't even see Spencer Sanders sometimes behind the line of scrimmage. So it's a little bit on him, but I think it's a lot more on the coaching staff, the totally. quarterbacks, and just the offensive game plan in general. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. If you're if you're being used as a decoy and and you don't get the ball, all of a sudden you're not a decoy and nobody's paying attention to you. Really, the ratio is backwards. Like you need to be mostly used as a volume guy 
and then a decoy to try to break a coverage or something like that. I mean, it's, it's a little bit backwards to me. And frankly, it's, it's, it is a little bit emblematic of the way this season has started. I don't think they've put the ball in their best players' hands. I mean, I, I feel pretty confident in that through four games that majority speaking, they did not do a good job of that. Whether they tried to intentionally or not, that was the case. So, um, I mean, it, huge, huge week for Brennan Presley and guys like Ollie Gordon and Alan Bowman, who's going to get his second consecutive start. I mean, this is where I you would expect a step forward. I don't know how big that step is, but it should be a step. Yeah. And and I think you could even see along with Brennan Presley getting the ball more, along with some guys rotating in on offensive line. I think on offense and defense in general, you might see a couple snaps from a guy you maybe haven't seen right. get very many snaps. I know on Pokes report they mentioned Bryce Drummond has been identified as a guy who can make plays on special teams. He's one of the fullback tight end players that Oklahoma State has. So he's going to be out there on all special teams now. I could, I think you could even see that on offense or defense. Or if somebody makes a boneheaded play, they may get pulled a little bit earlier. And probably not at like the quarterback position or something like that. But at positions that were rotating a little bit, I think you could see a rotating a little bit more. Is that, I mean, is that something you think could happen coming off the bye? It, I feel like oh. it's something that normally happens with teams. I would think so. And I that are struggling. I, I would advocate for it. I mean, if this is, if this is not a good football team, which I still think it, the jury is out. I, I think Mike Gundy has intentionally sabotaged the analytics. I think that uh, we can get into that later, but yeah, I definitely think you could see some, uh, some looks at new players. Absolutely. And I would, again, I would, I would be okay with that at, at certain positions. Dalton Cooper had some media availability this week and he basically two things he was asked about, does he feel more comfortable at left tackle? Yes. yes. (laughs) Does he like having one quarterback in there? And he said, yes, it was a huge difference with the offense, the comfortability as the game went on. So not only Cooper Bowman, it's no, it's not, it shouldn't be as a surprise. Like I'm not trying to say it as like a gotcha Gundy, you made the wrong decision. I just, I truly think we could see better things from the offense moving forward because they're finally going with one guy. Even if they decide to change that guy at some point, as long as it's not the same game QB rotation, I think you'll continue to see the offense improve. Yeah. I mean, we won't, we won't, uh, unpack the three quarterback rotation but there's I mean there's no question about it the offense looked capable in Ames but they looked rusty I mean I I went back and watched it again after our podcast just to check myself on it and yes like there was a lot of mistimings it and that's what the game kind of felt like offensively it was just like guys not where Bowman thought they would be and vice versa and I can't imagine that a point that you've made with three quarterbacks, three different cadences, three different, you know, uh, uh, modes of operation and the offensive line. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) Throw me a life raft here, but it's literally like the one thing I think I mentioned on every podcast, the fact that one of them in the rotation is left-handed, which I mean, it's just insane, but You've also got shuffling on the offensive line. It's really a wonder that they even looked as competent as they did in Ames with all of that considered. So, yeah, we'll see on Friday night, man. But I I am excited about it. I think K-State's, not to get into them yet, 
I think they do some things that Oklahoma State has a shot to be able to put up some points against. Yeah, I agree. One other funny note, and Cam Epps met with the media. Alan Bowman, we'll talk about a couple of his quotes when we talk about the Gundy media session in radio show. So there was some good player availability. But one other funny note for Dalt Cooper, he said that after he committed to Oklahoma State out, out of Texas State, out of the transfer portal, that the head coach at OU followed him on Twitter and he thought to and Cooper thought to himself, a little late for that, buddy. You know, I've already I've already made my decision. So it was kind of a little funny little quote from Cooper there. He seems like a really cool guy. He hasn't talked with the media a ton, so it was cool to kind of see that. And then, Cade, my last note before we get into some of the more media availability stuff, wanted to shout out our guy Alex Hale. He's a semifinalist for the William B. Campbell Award, which goes to college football's it's college football's premier scholar athlete award and recognizes an individual as the best football scholar athlete in the nation for combined academic success, football performance, and exemplary leadership. I'm pretty sure when wow. I read this article from Oklahoma State that he graduated with a 4.0. He's, I think he's very, very good in the classroom. He's been awesome on the field. And kid, you know, you know, I like my American players, but he's an Australian guy. That's that's just won my heart. He has, and uh, that's that's hard to do. He's also like a like award winning wake surfer, isn't that right? A wakeboarder. Yes. Yeah, and he, they're different. He played something else professionally too, right? Or like did something else? Yeah, I don't know. Mike Gundy talks about him kind of like glowing a little bit, like he's just apparently a super impressive young man. So uh, that's a that's quite the award to be included as a semifinalist on. And he's, you know, speaking of, you know, we talked last week a lot about times we were wrong going into this season. I thought Tanner Brown was going to be yep. more just kind of like openly missed. And Alex Hill has been so good coming off that injury that loved Tanner Brown, thought he was a great kicker, but Alex Hill's kind of picked up right where he left off. Mike Gundy said he can hit from 60, which makes sense as to why he threw him out there in Ames for that 53 yarder in the win. And I was like, Oh no, that's not what you got. You've got Ward and Hale that can both make it from like 60 plus, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I, I just, I think that Hale, I love your point there. And I think that's a great callback to some of the things we talked about in the off season kicking better than we expected. Everything else <laughs> a little worse. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we've been wrong, like on every aspect, literally game, including special teams. Yeah. So, Kate, going into the Gundy media session, I think we got to start with, I, I'm going to combine it with the radio show. He met with the media normally as he does on Monday and then had his radio show that night with Dave at Rib Crib. So he, in the media session, trolled the media by basically <laughs> saying they hadn't picked a starting quarterback for this game. And on the radio show, right off the bat, basically says, or it might have been a little bit into the show, but he says that Bowman played good enough to earn the starting job and he's getting 60% plus of the reps in practice with the ones and Gunner and Garrett Rangel are splitting the remaining percentage. I I mean, what did you think? This is why going into the season, Cade, that I didn't believe him that he was going to rotate quarterbacks because he likes to troll the media. Well, I he says he's not on Twitter, but I think he might have optics into it because I feel like he just wants to watch the world burn like shout out to Batman. I really think that 
he he knows what he's doing to your point like there is some trolling involved there and i also think that when he's in front of the media he was he was as testy this week as i've seen him in a long time i mean i guess go back to the wisconsin game last year uh but he was definitely not friendly and uh it's been a while since i've seen him that way but i also think that it's on purpose like he he does not want to say anything that's going to put him in a situation where he's given something to the opponent. I think that's always what it's about with him. It's less about giving an honest answer. It's more, I'm just going to hold as much to the vest as I can, but then he goes and says it to Robert Allen. So it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting the way he played that, but I'm glad that I'm glad that he did on the radio show. The radio shows are always pretty good as well. He will give a lot more insight. Like you just mentioned than he does in the media availability. I did want to read this quote from Bowman, though, from this week as well, kind of tie it into that. He says, now, this is Alan Bowman, now as far as I see this, that Iowa State was the first game of the season for me. I think the first four were just getting reps in a game, kind of like reps in practice, to get a full game under my belt. That was like the first game of the season. So it's really, when you read that quote out of context, it feels like a backhanded shot at the coaching staff almost <laughs> I, mean, I didn't probably not intended that way but no, i mean it's definitely like, not he definitely didn't mean it like that but when you just read it do you not agree a hundred percent because it didn't make any sense and you see these guys i mean dj mckinney who we've talked about for a couple of weeks having accidentally called it the preseason you won't convince me that there was not that word being thrown around in the west end zone for the non-conference like i i won't guarantee it, but I feel pretty confident that Mike Gundy called it preseason at one point in a team meeting at some point. So it's it's not shocking. It's not shocking that Alan Bowman feels that way. Um, frankly, I would think that most guys would feel that way. So I, I'm just excited. And unfortunately, I you pay money as a fan to go to these games and you expect them to put the best thing on the field. But I'm excited to see what it looks like for real. Unfortunately, I think they've got two really good teams like coming up back to back. Thankfully, you get them at home, but uh, I hope it's just not too late. Yeah, and the contrast between Bowman and Spencer Sanders talking to the media is like night and day. It's actually pretty, and I'm not saying Spencer Sanders did anything wrong by being a little bit more like how Mike Gundy acts with the media and not giving anything away kind of acting Sanders, maybe even a little bit more than coach Gundy. Cause coach Gundy's sometimes a little bit more playful with the media and when he's not giving info away, whereas Spencer looked like he wanted to not be there. <laughs> Alan Bowman looks like he could keep talking all day. I felt like Mike didn't want to be there on Monday. That was the vibe yes, I got. That was the a first Spencer time Sanders in interview. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Spencer Sanders with the media had a little bit of Russell Westbrook in him. Like at some point he's going to look at Barry Trammell like he's a moron. Yeah, and I I don't think that's wrong as long as you're answering the questions. You can handle it however you it's want as long as you're not I being like openly rude or calling people names or anything like that. But and Spencer never did that. But it's just funny because Bowman looks like he's like chopping it up with his boys, and Spencer looked like he would literally rather be doing anything else. I I feel like Alan Bowman and Spencer Sanders' personality difference, like. And there's a reason that that's the case. I just think that Alan Bowman was and is what the program needed, whether they win a bunch of games or not. I, 
and I'm not even really calling Spencer Sanders out in that regard, but it's it's night and day in in yeah. most of all these facets. So, yeah, no, I, I think I think it's a good call out by you. Along with the Gundy talking about the quarterback position on the radio show, he hit a couple of scheme things, Cade, that I thought were interesting because they've been one of them for sure has been a big topic. He talked about getting beat by that zone glance RPO. So that glance route is kind of the longer slant. It's like a five step. It's almost like a skinny post. And the quarterback will mesh with the running back, read the defense, whether that be that linebacker or kind of where the safety is lined up and make the throw. We saw Kendall Daniels get beat on it for a touchdown in the South Alabama game. We saw Cam Epps get beat on it for a touchdown in the Iowa State game. We've seen it land for big plays, I think, at least two or three other times and then completed maybe close to eight, nine, 10 times along with that hit our hitch RPO. He said, they've got to play that better. And currently I think it's more of a, he made it sound like it was kind of a decision-making thing from the players. Like the, they're kind of not reading it correctly along with making some adjustments from the coaching staff. So that's why I think they looked like such huge bust and why I had, so many questions coming into the season about how they were going to guard the slot receiver and guard on those quick throws. Cause it looks like it's a little bit of a disconnect all around. I also wonder too, and not, not saying there's anything wrong with the the current regime in the secondary, but like, did you recruit your safety to be able to cover that slot corner or the slot receiver the way that they have to now? Like, and I, I just, I look at Trey Rucker, a guy that I think is probably at his best when he's coming downhill and blowing a play up, having to cover that guy. It's just like, does this fit well? Does it fit with the guys that you recruited? And I don't know. I, I do agree. There's there's probably part of it that it's a decision-making. Part of it feels like a little bit of square peg round hole. And again, that's nobody's fault. It's just the the way it is. They're running this scheme. These guys are doing the best they can. And I think they will get better as this goes on, as we saw with Jim Knowles. But right now, that is a is a big deal. Well, and on the flip, Cade, that's that's a good call out. And on the flip side of that, not just the safeties, but the field linebacker where Benson's totally. at is is he the guy you wanted to put in that conflict player position of having to read the mesh and decide if he's going to stay out in that kind of flat area? in the throwing lane or crash on the mesh. So it's, it's definitely, it's definitely something that they've got to figure out between the safeties linebackers, coach Nardo. I think it gets cleaned up because normally when Gundy talks about something specifically scheme wise on the radio totally. show, you see a drastic change the next game, sometimes so much so that something else is open, but <laughs> I do think this will get cleaned up. Hey, I mean, if we get wham blocked 40 times, but we don't give up a glance RPO, I, I might be okay with that. He also did confirm that Blaine Green ran the wrong route on that first pick, but he it was basically a very similar take to what we had. The routes were wrong, which caused the confusion and the congestion and three defenders over there, but Bowman had enough time to see that and not throw it. So we were kind of on that same page not to give us our flowers there, but we, we were kind of in that realm of analysis. So it was nice to see Coach Gundy hit on that. Along with kind of personnel scheme, he was asked about Trey Rucker, who we mentioned was arrested for suspicion of DUI. 
He said until the basically until the system runs it, he's going to let the system run its course. And that right now, Trey Rucker is active. I know for a fact that he was at practice. I've had that confirmed this week. The fact that Gundy said active, though, makes me feel like he's maybe not going to play <laughs> or start anyway, because he's been starting. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. I feel like he's going to be suited up on the sideline, but maybe if Lyric Rawls can go, maybe you see Cam Epps in, Rock, in Rucker's spot. Not to like speculate, but it seems like there's some some gray area with the entire thing. And if that's the case, I, I would play him. I mean, it doesn't, he was coming from film study. Do we even want to get into this? That's so it's just weird. And if it's weird and everybody agrees, it's weird to keep play him until as Mike Gundy said, the system works itself out. We'll figure it out one way or another, but I think you just play him. Yeah. I, that's kind of, I, I may be misremembering this a little bit, but, it's kind of similar, not the what you're getting arrested for, but situation-wise right. with the Saints, with Alvin Kamara, he got in trouble but hadn't been convicted of anything yet, so his suspension waited until like this season, and now he's back, but he was playing after that happened, I believe. Yeah, I I think you're right, and I think a lot of teams have done what Oklahoma State is just appearing to do right now like you let the system play itself out but it's a big deal like to get back to your question or your your line of thought it's a big deal you need trey rucker on this team uh for the foreseeable and you hope everything's okay with him uh as he's already had a run-in with this in the past yeah so rawls is back at practice as well i know he's got i think like some kind of we talked about it being a leg injury some kind of brace or something on his knee but he's practicing so if Rawls is back and Rucker doesn't play, I would expect Epps to play the exact same position he played last week because, as you remember, you know you see a lot of people asking Coach Gundy, how do you think Epps did for Rawls? That's not actually what happened. Rucker played Rawls' position as the boundary safety. He had been playing field safety, and Cam Epps moved into the field spot. Great point. Because if you look at the depth chart, Epps is behind Rucker, so I'm assuming they thought, hey, this more experienced guy could more easily move to the boundary spot than the younger guy, which I think was a great call. I know it didn't work out very well, but I think it was probably better than putting Cam in a position he hasn't really practiced at if you felt he was the next best, best guy. All that to say, if Rawls plays, I think you just put Epps in Rucker's spot because that's where he played last week. If both Rucker and Rawls don't play, then I think it's Epps and Rucker's spot and you have some combination of Nick Session or Raymond Gay at Lear Crawl's boundary safety spot. The only other thing I could maybe see them do since they had the bye week, and we know they really like Ty Williams, who backs up Kendall Daniels at Rover, is maybe put him there. If he's kind of like what I was saying with Epps, if he's your yeah. next best guy, maybe a te- maybe you have enough time in the bye week to teach him that boundary safety spot. But I don't know. I I'm not really sure what they'll do if both guys can't play. Yeah, I mean, if if both guys can't play, they're going to give up a bunch of yards. That's that's what will end up happening. Um, but I I don't I don't think that will be the case. But I mean, shoot, I guess we'll just find out Friday night at six thirty. Yeah. And <laughs> last note, Kay, that I had. It sounds like Justin Wright is kind of not a full practice participant, but we saw him get snaps against Iowa State. I'm a I, I'm guessing that's just precautionary. 
I would think we see him against Kansas State. I this think it might be Nick precautionary. Back up. Sorry, Dustin. I think it might be precautionary because he may need to play more this week. I, I just watching K State, what they want to do offensively and put your linebackers in conflict and get your eyes violated in the wrong spots. You may need a guy with some experience at that at that linebacker spot. Yeah, I agree. Well, before we get into the preview. We'll take a quick break to hear a word from a sponsor, and then we'll get into K-State. We want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Classic Overland. Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience. And in addition, if you purchase a Classic Overland Defender and mention this podcast, the Feels Like 45 podcast, their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the Pokes with a Purpose NIL Collective. To learn more, you can visit their website, classicoverland.com, and you can contact Luke and Robert at robert at classicoverland.com. Thank you, and go Pokes. All right. Dustin, welcome back. This is a huge game. For many reasons, uh, we don't have to get into the record. We don't have to get into what's ahead. But this does feel like a turning point game for Oklahoma State where you've got your your quarterback making his second start in a row. Ollie Gordon likely to get the lion's share of the carries. Your offensive line should be as good as it's been in terms of you know who's going to be where, right? Offensively, Dustin... I think that this sets up well for Oklahoma State. I don't know if you want to get into offense first or just general, but I, I think that Oklahoma State can do some things offensively to to make this a game. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the offense operates because you and I are both of the mindset that they finally got this game with the one quarterback, Ollie Gordon out there for a bunch of snaps, a lot of the same receivers, there might be some shuffling on the line with a Jake Springfield in at right tackle for Cole Birmingham, but I would expect the rest of the line to be the same, barring any injuries we haven't heard about. And they've got to come out and not only try to write the season coming off two straight losses and two games that you probably shouldn't have lost. I know Mike Gundy has mentioned multiple times that he'd like to play South Alabama again, <laughs> Not only that, but you've got to avenge a 48, and I know the team's probably not looking at it like this, but a 48-0 to zero loss last year. You should be looking State, at it that way. You should be. Where, where Will Howard threw for nearly 300 yards and four touchdowns with no picks, and Deuce Vaughn went for a million yards on the ground and had a little bit through the air as well. So it's it's a big game, to your point, all around similar to what we've done for other previews of teams Oklahoma State has played or played last year, like the Iowa State game. You can't really take a ton away Oklahoma State and how they attacked them last year because so many new players on the offensive side of the ball. And with defense, you're running a whole different scheme. 
So I, and you know, there's some things that the Knowles and Derek Mason defenses do similar to what Nardo does, but just kind of in generalities, you kind of got to take this game for what Oklahoma state has shown this season and what Kansas state has shown this season and evaluate it that way, because there's not, there's not, and that might happen forever now with the transfer portal, but all that to say, it should be a really interesting game because like you said, Kansas state has shown some weaknesses on the defensive side, giving up explosive plays. Will Oklahoma State try to exploit that? Because before the Iowa State game, they hadn't even thrown the ball down the field. Well, that's the thing. Will they? If you don't, we will have to have some awkward conversations next week because I think there's one path to victory in this game, Dustin. And and really, I, I, don't, I don't always think that, but I think that K-State's offense is going to perform well. I think the only way you win this is with a shootout. And I think the only way you turn this into a shootout is by throwing the ball down the field and putting a somewhat inexperienced K-State secondary in conflict. I mean, guys like Duke Shelley, not there anymore. Like they, they have retooled back there. It's very clearly the soft spot of their defense. They also have given up chunk plays on the ground. So if, if your offensive line can perform well, and get some momentum behind them at home, this can go well for you, I think. Yeah, well, Cade, let's we can get in. Let's go defense first. I know we did offense first last week at Iowa State. Let's talk about K-State's defense and Oklahoma State's offense first, just for a little kind of brief intro into K-State. They're 3-1 they're and one this season. They beat Southeast Missouri 45-0. to zero. They beat Troy 42-13. to 13. They lost to Missouri 30-27 to 27 on a... 61 yard field goal for Missouri to win it. And they beat UCF who was with their backup quarterback who actually has played quite a bit this season. They beat them 44 to 31. And then they were on the bye last week, just like Oklahoma state, Chris Kleiman is four years at K state. He's he was from Northern Iowa was a DB there. He was at North Dakota state, won a bunch of titles there, came to Kansas state won the Big 12 championship game last year. And Kansas State came into the season with everybody thinking they were going to, even losing a lot, which you talked about on defense and even offense with Deuce Vaughn, Malik Knowles, Cade Warner, guys like that. They still were getting a lot of preseason hype. You know, Lindy's had him second in the Big 12. Athlon had him third. Phil Steele had him third. Most of their over-unders were around eight, eight and a half. And like we talked about, they dominated Oklahoma State last season looking at their defense statistically they've been pretty good this year and are against the run and they've been pretty bad against the pass so i took these stats as of the bye week so I, i wanted to get them before they could like change with an extra game from some of these other teams so 108th in passing defense but eighth in rushing defense 95th in defensive yards per play, 5th in tackles for loss, 55th in defensive points per drive. Cade, what are kind of your general takeaways from this K-State defense? Yeah, they looked apart again. Um, I think that they are going to be very good as soon as late this year or early next year. But I think that they are prone to give up that big play. And the analytics and the stats back it up. I mean, they are really solid defending the run, which 
if you didn't look at the stat sheet and you just watched them, that would be what you would come away from watching, thinking, yeah, they defend the run well and they're vulnerable in the secondary. They've also played at two offenses in Missouri and Central Florida that really want to push the ball downfield. And I think after watching Oklahoma State last week, that seems to be what Oklahoma State wants to do as well, which is why I think that this fits well for Oklahoma State. But defensively for Kansas State, I really like their front seven. I think that that is probably going to just end up being a thing we say every year that their front seven is good. It's just going to depend on what they can do in the secondary. And when their secondary figures things out, you end up with what they had last year, which was just a ball hawking defense where your secondary could pin your ears back and go. So I, I, I think that they're pretty good defensively. Yeah. And, and, you know, they lost some big names, which we've mentioned like Felix, Felix, Duque Uzuma. They got some guys like Marcus Siegel from North Dakota state. So it, it's they're an interesting they're an interesting defense because they're so good in some areas and they've just busted in other areas and they've also experienced some pretty big injuries on both sides of the ball but some significant ones on defense as well. Talking about their scheme, Joel Klanderman, he was only a defensive coordinator before Kansas State. He was only the defensive coordinator at Minnesota State. He played defensive line there. Then he was the longtime defensive back coach at North Dakota State with Coach Kleiman. Came to Kansas State, and he was the safeties coach in his first year there, and then got promoted to defensive coordinator. So this is a guy who's been with Coach Kleiman for a long time. When they they basically, when he started as defensive coordinator after their kind of first year, they abandoned the 425 that Kleiman used at North Dakota State. And what Bill Schneider had kind of run that four down type of defense. And they went with the Iowa state three, three, five. That kind of looks like Oklahoma state's defense. Coach Gundy even said there are a lot of similarities. He said they flirt a little bit more with a three, three instead of a three, two as in three linebackers versus two comparison wise. It's pretty close. They do some four man, even front like we do. There are a lot of similarities, but coverage-wise, they do some things differently. The concepts are all pretty much the same. So it's going to look a lot like Iowa State. It's going to look a lot like what Oklahoma State goes against in practice. The defense, you know, kind of what we talked about with like it does for Oklahoma State, it allows you to stay solid against the run while providing extra options and coverage, although that hasn't worked out really well for K-State this year or Oklahoma State at times. So they do a lot of disguising stuff like Iowa State does. They ask a lot from their linebackers to kind of make tackles once their defensive line clogs everything up. They'll run defensive ends in five techniques, playing heavy, or the ends can slide in and insert into that kind of tight front that we've talked about to take away a B gap. Because of these tactics, they have a nose tackle opposite the center. They bring varied blitzes from the second level. They can do a lot of things to disrupt blocking schemes, double teams, and just make things hectic for offensive linemen, like what Oklahoma State tries to do. They do a lot of zone coverage. I've seen that in the games I've watched this year. Last year against Oklahoma State, I went back to my notes. It was about a 50-50 zone man split. I'm assuming we'll see something similar this year. But like I said, they do a lot of zone, but they're not afraid to press you and man up and send a blitz with man free behind it. So that's kind of how they like to attack. And... It's going to look a lot like Oklahoma State's defense, as I've already mentioned a couple of times. 
So, Cade, any any general thoughts on their scheme before we kind of get into the players? No, none on their scheme. I just, you know, looking at the way Oklahoma State could attack something like that. If it's similar to Oklahoma State in that they don't want to break, they'll bend, but they don't want to break, keep everything in front of them. Look for a bunch of targets to a guy named Brennan Presley. I mean, if we're talking about it in media and that's the defense that you're going up against, he should get the ball thrown or attempted to be handed to him no less than 10 times in a game like this. Yeah. And, and Cade, kind of moving to the defensive line, they've looked really good this year. But against UCF, you you look, you go to the stat sheet and you see 4.2 yards per carry. Well, UCF kneeled it once, so take away that minus two. And they were sacked four times for negative 30 yards, which I like to take those out because that's not truly the running game. Right. That's McLean scrambling around and getting sacked, which if you watch that game, you saw that happen multiple times. And then him just get straight up sacked a couple of times. So if you look at that, it's like over 179 or 170 yards on 29 carries. That's over six yards a carry Yeah, against this K-State defense. So they've been really, really good against the run. So good that even though UCF ran for six plus yards per carry, they're still were ranked in the top 10 in rushing defense. So, they have been exposed on the ground, as especially early in that game, as well as through the air. Yeah, I mean, this is a game that if you can establish some semblance of running game, and I, I think what UCF did well is they've got a, a somewhat dynamic quarterback back there. I know it's not, you know, um, Plumlee that they'd like to have back there. But that their quarterback in that game was at least able to keep it and and be a threat with his legs, and I think that kept uh, Kansas State's defensive line from being able to really like pin their ears back. But I think that Oklahoma State, what they do bring that UCF didn't, is a little bit of power, and I think that they should be able to get up into that four yards, four and a half yards of carry, and if they do, all of a sudden that helps things, you know, uh, down the field as well. So. Um, it will be really interesting, but they do seem vulnerable to a big play. It's kind of like Oklahoma State, though, like Oklahoma State's defense, I should say. Like they have given up some chunk plays that I think inflate that run defense total when by and large, the sample size when you watch Kansas State would tell you it's a pretty def- decent run defense. Yeah, and they rotate a lot of these guys in. Khalid Duke, who you've heard heard of before, he's a very talented pass rusher, really actually physical guy for his size. He's a former linebacker that they've kind of converted into this defensive end spot in the middle at that kind of defensive tackle, nose tackle spot. They've got Oso Seomalo. They've got Brendan Mott, Nate Matlock, Damian Iallo, Jevin Banks, and Cody Stufflebean. And Kate, if you want to read these snap counts off to show you how much they rotate these guys, Duke's got 159, Siamalo's got 122, Mott 155. Those are the starters. And then the backups, Matlock's got 94, Stufflebean's got 85, Banks has 74, and then Damian has 55. So these guys play a lot. It's not three guys that kind of just stay in there. It's like Oklahoma State. They rotate these guys in a bunch. And I really, really like what I've seen from guys like Mott and Matlock and obviously Duke, who we've talked about already. 
they've all been really good and they've all been really physical and they've all got a bunch of tackles for loss. Like I said, K-State's fifth in the nation. Where else? I think they've been pretty good, even though they've experienced some injuries at linebacker. Yep. Daniel Green, their middle linebacker, their Mike, out for the season. He's not going to return. This is a preseason All-Big 12 guy. He had surgery, so he's going to be out for the year. He's been replaced by a young guy, Austin Romaine, who's looked pretty good at times. Behind him, they hope to have Bo Palmer back. He's only played 11 snaps. But Austin Moore and Desmond Purnell, Purnell's the Sam, Moore's the weak side linebacker. Both these guys are former walk-ons at K-State, and they've been two of the better guys on the defense. That's insane. I don't know how that happens, but it seems like it happens in Manhattan more so than anywhere else. And I mean, you look at just looking at their roster. I know they've replaced a lot, but it's still they've got this like almost like corn fed look to them. It's like I don't know where they're pulling these guys from, but it might be straight off the farm in some of these cases. And they'll actually rotate the linebackers a little bit. Jake Clifton will get in there. Asa Newsom was rotating in. Coach Kleiman said in his presser this week that he's actually going to be injured and will probably redshirt, so we won't see him. In the defensive backfield, though, Cade, we've talked about the bust. I don't think it's been a ton on the cornerbacks, though. I think yeah. their safeties have struggled. I actually think Will Lee, the third, 6'3", 185, has a pick. I don't think he's been terrible. And he was a guy that I think coming into the season was viewed as one of the weak spots of the defense. And on the other end, Jacob Parrish at 5'10", 183, he's been awesome, I think, comparatively to the rest of their secondary. So I don't think the cornerbacks have so much been the issue. I think it's been the three safe. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Kind of like what South Alabama struggled with, right? But Oklahoma State tried that first drive to exploit it and didn't get a chance to the rest of the game. So it will be very interesting to see what Oklahoma state tries to do, assuming that they want to exploit that because it's exactly what I saw as well. And they've so much so that even they've moved Kobe Savage and VJ Payne. They've changed their positions oh, wow. in season. What safety spot that they play. So that, that's going to be really interesting to see. The other safety there is Marcus Siegel. He's kind of their, I feel like he's more of their like nickel position at times lined up over the slot. He's been targeted a ton. I wouldn't be shocked if Oklahoma State came after him, kind of like teams have been coming after Oklahoma State's field safety. Or the strike position, I think, is what Nardo calls that different than Noel's strike position. They've been targeting that. Epps, Rucker, field safety. I could see Oklahoma State targeting a guy like Marcus Siegel. That would be great. That means great things for Brennan Presley and Blaine Green, guys that I want to feed. All right, Cade. On to the K-State offense. Twenty And again, if you look these up, they're going to probably have changed. I grabbed these after the bye week so I could have a apples-to-apples comparison. 27th in passing offense, 30th in rushing offense, 44th in yards per play, 29th in sacks allowed. 26th in points per drive, and they're 67th in turnover margin, which incorporates the defense as well. Last year, turnovers and lack of red zone scoring, I feel like were kind of the bigger issues. They lost Deuce Vaughn, they lost Knowles, they lost Warner, but they've added guys like Treshawn Ward, Keegan Johnson from Iowa, who hasn't, who's been banged up a lot this year. And the 
Will Harrell, Will Howard, their quarterback, who's been banged up this year, and the offense is still operated pretty efficiently. Efficiently and explosive at times. I mean, really, it's not even at times. They have they have looked probably as good offensively as I can remember them. I mean, the Adrian Martinez years, they're better than uh, even going back before that. I can't remember who their quarterback was. It might have been Will Howard. Like this, this is as good as they've looked offensively. I think in probably the last five years, I feel pretty comfortably saying. Um, I, I think they're pretty dynamic. They've got really what appears to be the, the guys they want. Like if you look at what they've got in the slot, what they've got outside, I mean, Phillip Brooks is there for like what is ninth year in a row, I think. So they, they have clearly identified what they want. And I, I think that they have a really solid, you know, approach to things. Yeah. And their offensive coordinator, Colin Klein, former Kansas state quarterback, it's not going to look too much different than what they did last year. They like to get the quarterback involved in the running game. They like to go heavy personnel. I think they started that UCF game in 12 personnel. You'll even see them do some Iowa State stuff, 13 personnel. They're mainly an 11 and 12 team, though. They'll split their tight ends and tailbacks out as receivers. They like to run that A-gap power where the backside guard will kick step and then pull into the A-gap, whereas normally you see teams run power more through the B-gap. This is the A-gap right next to the center. They'll run power with a fullback lead blocker. They'll, they'll run GT counter. They'll run GH or GY counter with the H back in the backside guard pulling. They'll pull offensive linemen from the play side. They'll do jet sweeps. This is a true, when you talk about a scheme that is truly kind of more of a gap than zone focused scheme. I would look at K state. They still do run zone and they do split zone and they do some split zone insert stuff, but it is a very heavy pulling lineman ISO scheme though. You mentioned it earlier. They still do the trap blocks and the wham blocks. They love to mix that stuff in, in the passing attack. You'll see levels, mesh sit, post wheel, slot fade, smash, just kind of those, the ones, the normal go-tos, they'll go empty. They've used play action. PFF has them yep. at almost 30% play action on their pass plays, which is a pretty high percentage. And then they motion and they will go tempo at times, but it's not as much as you see saw from, you'll see from a Kansas or a team like that. But that's kind of their, that's kind of their general scheme. It's, it's fun to watch in a different way than Kansas is. There's not as much eye candy and triple option, but there's a lineman pulling on almost every run play. And unfortunately, the lineman that's pulling is coming downhill. Again, kind of the way I've said that Nick Martin, I'm pretty sure, is yelling on his way through the line. I think that K-State's offensive linemen are also screaming as they pull. I mean, they... Frankly, I love the way you broke that down. Like it's a fun watch because it's a totally different style. Nobody in this conference plays that way. And you're exactly right. From a running perspective, it's like if you like running the football well, I would just watch Kansas State all day because they it, even if it doesn't work out, the the concept is gorgeous. And I I don't want that in Stillwater. But I can certainly appreciate it as a fan of football. And, um, you know, you look at guys like DJ Giddens as well, who is, you know, a sophomore, earned all Big 12 honors as a freshman. I mean, I know that they don't have Deuce Vaughn, 
but DJ Giddens is a different type of player, but is, you know, what is he? I don't even, I don't even know what his measurables are. I'm going to guess six, one, two fifteen, And he's a monster. I mean, I, I think that Oklahoma state, if they're not physical and ready to go in this game, Kansas state could run for 250 yards. And Kate, you mentioned that offensive line. Here's the career starts for all five guys. 18, 39, 18, 17, 35. Robert Allen was talking about that today on the radio. I have, you know, my depth chart that I make for every team in front of me. And I highlight starters from last year. All five of those offensive linemen are starters from last year. And they've actually caved. The the bad thing is they started off this year looking maybe a little rusty. They didn't have right tackle Christian Duffy. He just came back in the UCF game, and it looks like he'll be fully healthy coming into Oklahoma State. And the other guys looked, besides from Cooper Beebe, their left tackle, he's amazing. Yeah, But the other guys looked maybe a little bit off at times. Well, they're now coming fully into form just in time for this Oklahoma State game. So with Christian Duffy fully back, this will be the best offensive line that Oklahoma State has faced. And Cade, the defensive line and the linebackers, we've been giving a lot of props for Oklahoma State. This will be their first real true test because Iowa State's offensive line I didn't think was very good. South Alabama's was okay. Arizona State's wasn't great. And obviously Central Arkansas being an FCS team can't really compare there. This is the test for this defensive line. This is the test for Justin Kirkland. This is the test for Colin Oliver, who is one of the top 25 graded guys at the linebacker spot and has played nearly 70% of his snaps at true linebacker. And we've given him tons of flowers on this podcast. Are these guys going to step up and play the game against this really talented offensive line who will be pulling and trying specifically to get up to the second level and seal guys off and blow up these Oklahoma State linebackers. I mean, you you didn't name him right there. I don't think it was for any reason, but a guy like Nick Martin, this is a this is the biggest game of his career up to this point. He hadn't played a ton, but there is no question that he's going to be looked at in film in Manhattan all week, all bye week, as how do you exploit a guy like that in and put him in conflict. I would say the same for a guy like Xavier Benson. That's where if I was Kansas State, I would be looking. And I think Colin Oliver is going to do good things. But if you can if you can get those guys washed up in the run, I mean, you kind of get where I'm going with this. I, I have I have some anxiety about what Kansas State at least appears on paper to be able to do against Oklahoma State on the ground because I think they have the offensive line to do it. I think Oklahoma State is growing into what they want to be. I don't think they're quite there yet. And it just depends on how Oklahoma State wants to approach this game. Do they go with the Iowa State approach and go four down and and try to take everything away and make Will Howard beat you? That may be the way you have to approach this. Yeah, and you mentioned Giddens, which I think you were really close on his height and weight. He's 6'1", 212. Wow, that I was three pounds off. He had 207 rushing yards against UCF. So when I talk about them getting off to a little bit more of a slow start, kind of talking about you know that takes away half of his rushing yards on the season from that one game, but they still have run the ball good pretty much every game. I mentioned Treshawn Ward. Giddens is, he's a more of a power back, obviously, than a guy like Deuce Vaughn, and you can tell from his size, but don't let that fool you. He can shake guys off as well. I, I would think 
if I was to compare him to an Oklahoma State running back, he'd probably be more like an Elijah Collins, yeah. whereas he would run through you, but he also can move side to side pretty well. He's gotten all, a lot of his yards through the A-gap as well, either, whether that be A-gap power or cutting the zone runs up through that A-gap. So he is not afraid to take the ball up through the middle of this defense and run right at your Justin Kirklands and your Colin Clays. They, he's also a very, very good gap scheme running back, like very good. And then Treshawn Ward, he's been banged up. It sounds like he's going to be a go in this game. He's been practicing all week, Coach Kleiman said. Florida State transfer. He's 5'10", 194. He's a guy you can use in the passing game. Very fast. He's. I think I had one fumble earlier in the year. And then behind that, James White, Joe Jackson, probably won't see, and Anthony Frias, probably won't see them a ton if Ward's in there. I think it'd be mainly them two. But where, kid, where I think the weakness of this offense has been, and not talking tight ends at this moment, because they've been good, is the wide receiving core. They just have, it's, I think it's a little bit of not being able to scheme them into the game, like we talked yeah. about with Brennan Presley. They haven't been able to get open. They lost guys like Knowles and Warner. So outside of Phillip Brooks, Jaden Jackson, and RJ Garcia, there's not another guy, another wide receiver on the team that has more than six catches. Mm. And after that guy, there's not another wide receiver on the team that has more than one catch. So take the run away. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Phillip Brooks, it's Jaden Jackson, it's RJ Garcia, and then Keegan Johnson, who has not been healthy. I think he should get more run in this game, the Iowa transfer. But Brooks, he's your 5'8", 171-pound slot guy. Garcia, they use him in the slot and outside. He's also been banged up, six foot 176. And then Jaden Jackson, who I really like, number zero for them, 6'1", 190. He's probably my favorite receiver. I like him even more than I like Brooks. He's been kind of their deep threat guy. But these receivers have been very, very unimpressive. And I knew they were going to take a step back, losing some of those guys that we mentioned. But I thought Brooks and Jackson, Garcia, and then adding Keegan Johnson were good enough to not totally make up for it. But I just don't think they've been great. Yeah, I, it absolutely backs it up. I don't think they've had to be. You know, obviously they lost that game against Missouri. Their offense looked good, but they want to run the ball. I mean, that, that's their identity, I think. And if you if you ask Kleiman that, without having listened to his media this week, I'm sure that's what he's talking about. You got to establish the run game. I'm, I think everybody in Manhattan would agree with that. So I think there's reason for it. And I think it's a valid reason. I mean, you said DJ Giddens had 207 yards. I didn't look at the stat sheet. I just, just watched rushing. It. He had like 90 receiving. As I well. just watched it and it was like, oh no, <laughs> a little, little bit of an oh no feeling. But what He's I will, really good, what I will say is I think Oklahoma State does match up decently against Kansas State. They have not, I mean, if you, if you, Look at the South Alabama game through a bit of a of a lens. They've defended the run pretty decently most of the year. Iowa State, their best game defending the run, I would say, all season. You should feel decent about Oklahoma State's ability to hold them to, you know, not 200 yards rushing through their primary receiver up your A-gap. So I, I do think that Oklahoma State can limit Kansas State's offense, but it's going to be how long – how much truly I just, I, I think they'll have something in the tank for them. 
And can they limit this next guy we're going to talk about before we move to Will Howard and wrap up? Ben Sinnott, the 6'4", 245-pound tight end. He has been the go-to target for Will Howard. He leads the team in receiving yards with 247. He's... He may be one of the best tight ends in the country. I would say not so. just in the Big 12. I, I listened to a couple of his media availabilities recently just to kind of get more familiar with the team, like I do each week. Just seems like a nice guy. Seems like the sweetest guy. Like like look into his eyes. It's like the first time you heard the Beatles type guy. He's got a couple <laughs> of drops, but he's been really good. UCF tried to take him away and out of the game a little bit. And he still had five catches for 64 yards along with him, Will Swanson. And they've been working in Garrett Oakley, who may be a guy they try to get on a deep ball or secret weapon type play against Oklahoma state. Cause they haven't shown him a lot, but he's more of your kind of fast get down the field, get open tight end. So it'll be interesting to see. And then wrapping it up with Will Howard, he's been banged up. He's got the ankle. He still ran the ball against UCF, even though every now and then he'd be hobbling around. He's going to play. It sounds like I listened to a couple of their media podcasts and it sounds like they think he's 100%. Behind him, they have Avery Johnson, the true freshman, who's more of your kind of true dual threat guy. But all the criticisms that we've had of Howard in the past, him trusting his receivers too much, throwing into coverage, just being a little wild with the football, he's cleaned that up over the years and he's just been accurate, making smart decisions, He's just a really good quarterback that I would love to have on Oklahoma State. He's good at the RPO. They don't throw a ton of screens, but he can throw them. He loves the middle of the field. He's 57 yep. for 78, 73% of his passes for 803 yards and all, or, and seven of seven touchdowns have been in between the hashes past the line of scrimmage. So loves the middle of the field. Just seems like a just seems like a great guy as well, listening to his media availability. But Definitely worried about Will Howard if he's 100% because even if you take away the run, Will Howard's going to figure out how to do things not only with his feet but with his arm. Yeah, so a couple of things. Ben Sennett is kind of a freak, and he's the guy when I've joked for the last year about getting wham blocked by K-State, he's the guy I'm talking about. So the fact that he's still there, only a junior, by the way, 2022 All-Big 12 first team, kind of a freak so I feel like you just he's gonna get what he gets but the dynamic you know nature that he and Will Howard have together is what makes me most nervous I mean Will Howard as you said you gave him the credit he deserves which I still don't know if he's received abroad the guy you you hear the words Will Howard I think a lot of that has quieted down over the years but I think there's still some um, negative connotations from what he was as a freshman, sophomore getting thrown in there. He's a legit quarterback. I mean, he's probably one of the top three in this league, maybe top four. If you throw a healthy Jalen Daniels in there, he's a great quarterback. And I think, as you said, you'd love to have him in Stillwater. He sells the play action extremely well. I think you credit a good run game with that, but All of that to be said, Dustin, is this offense just appears to know what it wants to do and does it well most of the time. Yeah, and if I'm K-State, I'm probably targeting Senate 
in Brooks hundred in that in that slot position and seeing if Oklahoma State can guard it while trying to get the running game going as well. They've scored on like every single opening drive this year. So if they get the football first or when they get the football and you stop them, that would be huge because they've oh. scored on everybody else. We'll storm the field. I'll go with you. A hundred percent. I noted <laughs> that as out well. instantly. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. See how it ends in the uh, in the tailgate. Um it's it's absolutely valid and i think the game plan that you just laid out is how i saw it your two best players are in that middle of the field if you're going to try to sell the play action some of that rpo where where will howard likes to go and where oklahoma state's weaknesses are defensively the game plan kind of speaks for itself i'm sure they saw that on film and i i will be curious to see what the opening drive looks like if if they go there can oklahoma state defend it well I would hope so because everybody knows it's coming. All right, Cade, you ready to pick it? No. <laughs> All right, so I've got Kansas State minus 11 and a half and the over-under at 55. Cade, can you give me both scores? I th- I'll take the over. I think it's actually a pretty safe over. I, I think K-State's going to cover them. I mean, I, I have... I hate saying it. I don't like picking against Oklahoma State. It's also a weird line at 11 point, 11 and a half points at home. Oklahoma State, I can't remember the last time they're double digit dogs at home. But I just, I don't know if Oklahoma State's going to have enough offensively to keep up with what I think is probably going to be a 37 point affair from Kansas State. So I said over, I'm, I'm thinking it's a, a pretty narrow over, but I'm, I'm going to take it. And I, my final score is 37, 23 Kansas state. I like that. I went, so you have Kansas state covering yeah. in the over then and the over. Okay. I took Kansas state 34. And then I thought about putting, you know, 23, 20, but I got to go with 27. Yeah. That's what they've been. That's- Oklahoma state's been scoring every week, except for cool. one. So I'm going KSU 34, Oklahoma State 27. That's the over, and I actually have Oklahoma State covering. I think, like you said, the double-digit line at home, even though Oklahoma State has not looked good, yeah, they're coming off the bye week, and I know K-State is too, but I'm still hopeful that they're going to build off this keeping one quarterback, having Ollie Gordon out there a bunch. The defense has now been exposed in a couple areas that they can sure up and maybe make a more complete game. I think Oklahoma State, it may be the final score is closer than how the game really goes, but I'm going to I'm gonna just go with the 27 again. One thing, Cade, we talked about the defensive line. I don't know if we really hit on this very much. I am worried about the pass protection. I know it was better against Iowa State. Totally. But Kansas State has been average. Like, they got four sacks against UCF. I think they had five against Troy. They had two or three against... Mizzou, I'm a little worried about that because once you start to get sacked four or five times, you're probably not going to win the game. Yeah, absolutely a valid point. I I thought it never said it out loud. It's It may be the thing offensively that I feel the most confident in, actually, is that Oklahoma State's going to have issues up front. I just think Kansas State's defensive line is pretty good. I will be very interested to see. I'm not going to assume anything. I will be very interested to see, though, offensively, how Alan Bowman stands in there. You know, he's been criticized a lot. Some of it is valid about his his pocket presence and his feet. 
we'll see what Oklahoma State wants to do. Do they try to move the pocket and keep that defensive line at bay? I don't know. Dustin, I do think there's a path to victory, and I think it's the over. And, I mean, it's going to be like a 70-point total if Oklahoma State wins this game. I, I don't see a way Oklahoma State keeps them under 27. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I hate picking a loss, but I just don't think – I picked this as a loss before the season yeah. when I thought Oklahoma State was going to win eight or nine games. So now I just I, – I don't know – I wouldn't be doing a service to our listeners if I somehow changed this to a win – after how the season yeah, that's, has gone so far. That's the other thing. I don't know the last time you and I both picked a loss, but it's just, you have to call it how you see it. And I, you know, credit to us, Dustin, here's your flowers. I'll take mine credit to us for calling it how we see it. So, yeah. Yeah. And we're not, we're trying not to just pump orange Kool-Aid and sunshine. Like we, we We'd don't love think to. we're ever really doing hard. I, I know we do it, but we, don't think we are so i'd uh, love to and we never do but i would love to <laughs> hey when we'll do a few questions we went longer as always than we talked about going Docker. so we'll do a few questions one quick ad read before we get to those from our sponsor wild oak lighting wild oak lighting is your authorized jellyfish lighting dealer for the greater oklahoma city area stillwater and several other oklahoma markets jellyfish lighting is a permanent but discreet color-changing LED lighting system for the exterior of your home. With 16 million different colors and patterns, jellyfish lighting can be used for Christmas, holiday, and accent lighting. And of course, Oklahoma State game day lighting. You can learn more about jellyfish lighting by checking out the website, wildoak-lighting.com, or you can follow them on Facebook or on Instagram at wildoak underscore lighting. Please let them know that we sent you and they'll definitely be just nice to you. And they'll, you know, they'll, maybe they'll work faster. Maybe, maybe they'll give you a high five, but they have on their forms, they have a spot where you can click that you heard about the podcast. You heard about them through the podcast. So please do. I know I'm going to have my lights on my house light lit up blue and orange throughout the playoffs for my Astros. I get it. You don't like the Astros listener. But I do, so I'm going to have it blue and orange. I'll have them lit up orange this Friday night, not Saturday, for the Oklahoma State game against K-State. And then obviously as we move into Halloween, Christmas, I'll be using those lights like I always do. They're awesome. I would recommend them to anybody. Check out Wild Oak Lighting. 100%. They do great work. Follow them on social media if you have not. And as Dustin said, if you make the leap, know that it's not a leap, but tell them that you found them here. Dustin, <laughs> I'm excited to get to listener questions because we don't get to do it a whole lot in football season. And I know we had a bunch. Yeah, we got like, I think 20 something. So we're going to hit like five or six. We really appreciate you guys sending them. And one of the reasons we're only going to do five or six is you guys asked a lot of similar questions, a lot of stuff about Coach Gundy and, you know, the t his tenure moving forward, what his future looks like. Stuff about offensive scheme, offensive coordinator. So we'll hit a few of those, and then we'll hit some of the other ones. I'll try to hit them in the order we receive them, along with kind of mixing in some of the duplicates. So our first one was from the DMs, our guy Tanner Price, at Tanner underscore Price One from Around the 12 podcast. Shout out to Tanner. Hung out with him a little bit at the Arizona State game out in Tempe. It's a really cool guy, and I love his questions. He says, you now have the ability to buy 
an OSU player's jersey to support their NIL. If you had to pick one non-skill player, who would it be and why? Okay, let's say let's just say one non-skill player like on offense. Let's keep like defensive backs in there. Who would be your jersey if you're taking out quarterbacks, receivers, and running backs? Man, that's tough. I mean, I probably Queso. I mean, I probably that's a good one. I think I gotta go. I gotta go Corey Black because they don't even throw at him. He's just he's been a nightmare for other teams. Be, also because there's other spots in the defense that are open, but I'm going to go with Corey Black. I'd also, you know, Justin Kirkland, Nathan. Lefou. I thought about that. Those are just, some, those are some names, but I feel I like if Corey I could block with the two, if it's NIL, I'm sure I can modify the back. And if I could make it say queso, that would, would be absolutely sick. buy. And I, is there something about what is he? 76. There's something about the odd Three, number. Right? 73. 73. Yeah. There's something about the odd number jerseys on a guy like me that I think just says something different, you know, a little character, there's something <laughs> going on there that is mysterious. I, I like that a lot. No, I love that. I love that question. He also had a follow-up. If you could pick an all-time OSU jersey, who would it be? And he said, let's exclude the best player from each position to make it a little bit more interesting. Kid, I'll give you mine. I've talked about him on the podcast a bunch. I go with no number eight, Daytuan Lowe. It's a great pick. Very fringe of you as well. I, I love that. Man, now you got me thinking defensive backs. Lucian Antoine would be right up there. Um, I don't know. Did he say he said not the best one? Vernon Marinci will be my pick. Yeah, I was gonna say any of the running back, like Kendall Hunter, the 24. Kendall Hunter's a great, great one. I'll go Vernon Marinci, who was my my first favorite Oklahoma State player. <laughs> I love that question, Tanner. Kate and I could probably talk about the what jersey we'd buy from old Oklahoma State players for Unfortunately, another yeah. 30 minutes. Uh, next one we've got is Robert Wetzel at Robert W underscore OKST, OK State. If either of you were a degenerate gambler, are you betting on bowl eligibility or not for OSU? I'm not a degenerate gambler, but... <laughs> I would have a hard time right now betting for it. Ah. Yeah, and hey, I kind of wanted to, just before you answer, our guy Oach for OSU at Oach 40 and Glory Cowboy at Gorg Sankar had similar questions to this one. They've talked, basically, now that we've seen four games, what's a reasonable amount of wins? What amount of wins would you see making this a good season? So kind of to go along with Robert's question, are you betting on bowl eligibility and either if you are, or if you're not, what do you think the win total is now that you've seen this many games? I mean, I, th this is going to sound pessimist to me. I just don't know where they come from. I mean, West Virginia is better than expected. I think BYU is probably better than expected. Cincinnati is going to be close. I mean, I, I really think you could see Oklahoma state win like five games this year. That would be my, my win total projection for the year. I wrote down when I put this question in our in our notes, I said, I think I could see three more wins based on what I've seen from this team so far, which would get you to five. But the flip side of that is we've only seen one game with one quarterback. So it's still, for me, really hard to say. I think a good season, if you could get to seven wins... If you could win five more, 
I would probably call that after the start a good season. Then you get a chance to win a bowl game and get yourself to eight. So then then people are probably forgetting in 10 years from now, they're probably forgetting how the season started. But I, I agree with you. I think three. And I, I probably, if I had to bet my real money right now, I probably wouldn't bet on bowl eligibility. And I hate saying that and sounding negative. I just have three games with a QB carousel and a loss at Iowa State to go off of. I don't think you sound negative. I think you're looking at it the same way I am, which is like what has been good and what's going to make you think that maybe in a better Big 12 than we originally expected, a harder schedule is going to result in four more wins. I just I just don't see it. So, Yeah. Okay, do you want to just do one more? It's I think we just had a slight schedule change, and I think we're both going to have to run due to some yep. personal circumstances. Apologies, guys. I, I know we said we'd get to more. We just had something come up. Uh, this one, golf is fun, at Scott Hedrick 15. How many sacks do you think we give up to K-State this week? Again, oh, so I did have this written down. K-State had four against UCF, two against Mizzou, and five against Troy. Three is my answer. I wrote down three as yeah. well. I think the offensive line plays well. I mean, I think from a run game perspective, they play well. And I think Can from... you win with three sacks? Do you think they could win yes. the game? Yeah, yes. I agree. I think if you give up five, you cannot win that game. Not with this run game and your ability to make that up if it's on first or second down. I I, I think if it's three, though, yes. And I that's why I said, like, I think Oklahoma State can do some things to keep this close. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, guys, apologies for having to cut it short. Thank you so much for the questions. We really appreciate it. Again, when we get into the offseason, we'll go back to seven, eight, nine questions answered per episode. If you guys are willing to continue sending them in, apologies for having to cut that off during the season. But beat K-State. Beat K-State. If you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter at FeelsLike45Pod. You can follow Dustin at DustRagu, and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We'll see you guys back here next week, hopefully after a big Oklahoma State win. Enjoy the nice weather. It's going to feel like 70 degrees outside on Friday, and I personally can't wait for that. We'll see you guys back here next week. Go Pokes.